You got the nice little candy? Hey, there we go. So we are back on. But um, yeah, please make a review on that because that always helps us. But to catch us up, what we've been talking about um, with church members, very first thing is I'm a function, I'll be a functioning church member. We all have a purpose. We all show up no matter age or whatever, why ever we came, that there's a function for us. And so we don't want to just be a place and we don't want to be people that just kind of show up and sit. Um, there is a job for us. That's how God created the church and all that stuff. Um, the next thing is I'll be a unifying church member. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, that it's about each other. It's about that we fight for the unity. Um, it's one of the greatest diseases in our Western church today is a lack of unity. And it is the greatest power for people to see Jesus in the church when there is unity. And so we fight for that and we look for it. And how do we keep fight for that unity with one another? Um, I will not let my church be about my preferences. It's not about us. It really, really is about those people out there. And as long as we are thinking that and we're moving that way, um, then God's going to do something amazing. Um, when it becomes about us and we're inwardly focused, we're done. Um, all the inwardly focused churches are dying. And so we want to be that. And then um, last week, I'll pray for my leaders. I encourage you to pray for me, pray for the leaders we don't have, and all that stuff. This week, a little bit more at home. Um, I'm actually really excited about this. Um, The family. The family. And if, yeah, I like the dog that's in the pot, you know, (laughs) back there. And the kid that's got a lighter running around and stuff. And a pelican. That's totally I don't know. I don't know. But if you notice, like our families today are the most disconnected that I think they've they've ever been. And so think about how many families more than two times a week sit together as a family and have dinner around a table and talk about the days. Think about when we do come together, we're all on our devices. It's even funny. We sit here, we're watching a movie, and we all have like little tablets or something, and we're like doing stuff as we're watching a movie. We're so non-connected. And we're so separated, and there's so kind of kind of chaos going on in our families. And I believe that's on purpose from the enemy. See, because I still think the family is the most important thing. I, I think family is what, what God created. It was the first church. The first congregation was the family. And so today, I, that's what we want to talk about it. Um, uh, Jonathan Edwards, great theologian and missionary, said... Family education and order are some of the chief means of grace. If these are duly maintained, all the means of grace are likely to prosper and become effectual. Which just kind of tells me, and like that's really fancy wording, but it kind of tells me that if the family's working, and if the church is supporting the family, (coughs) grace is shown. And grace is seen. I, I don't think God created a better picture of what community and what life and what his plan is than the family. And so it is so important. And again, I think this is the number one place. The enemy, I think the enemy started attacking the family from the garden on. When he came between Adam and Eve. And so today, that's really, really what I want to talk about. As church members and stuff, um, we want to make a commitment. I will lead my family to be healthy church members. And so we're going, to, we're going to take the time to kind of look at family and what does it mean to lead our families and to lead each other and help lead other families. Um, one of the greatest challenges I think we have in the church today is we have so many families that have been undiscipled. My generation, 
we didn't have people that came in and discipled us. We didn't have people like to take the time and walk us through like what does it mean to be a dad or a husband? What does it mean to be a leader and all those things? And so you see this big kind of gap between what that looks like with today's generation, with some of y'all's generation, and even the generation coming up. It's getting farther and farther apart. Um, being a nominal Christian doesn't work anymore. Pew Forum just came out with their annual kind of report of religion in the United States. Um, and for years, we have been a christian nation. Um, that there are people that just kind of say, well, I grew up, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. Or my family went to church, I'm a Christian. Those people are going away. That number is declining by like 3 to 5% every single year. People just walking away. They're called the nothings. They don't believe in anything anymore. And within 15 to 20 years, we will be the minority. There will be none of that group of people anymore. There will be no buffer between us and the culture. You know, there's always been a buffer that we've said, hey, we like, we've got these people, maybe we can get them back to church and, and do it. They're all going away. And so what it looks like to be a follower of Christ is going to be very, very evident in the coming decade. And there's going to be a strict line that says, this is what a follower of Christ is and this is what it isn't. And we're going to be the minority. And so our families are key to this. The generations that we're raising up and the generations that we're working with is key to this. And we have to lead them and pass on the faith to them. So that's what we're going to dive into. We're going to be in Ephesians this week. We are in Ephesians this week. We're not jumping to Timothy and Ephesians. It is Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 5. But let's pray as we dive in. Father God, we just thank you so much that family was your idea. And God, whether we have been married, were married, aren't married, wherever we're at today, um, God, you call us as a church to be a family, to come along each other, to support each other, to encourage one another, to speak truth into one another. And so, God, we just ask that you would speak to us um, this morning. And that, God, that you would lead us. Father, what I have to say means absolutely nothing, but it's what you have to say. So, God, as we open your word, Father, give us understanding, give us discernment, give us ears to hear and hearts that will respond to what you're calling us to. God, may this church and may every church that's meeting today, God, be a beacon of hope and of grace and of light in a world that is getting darker every day. So, Father, have your way this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I am a church member. I want to lead my family. The old statement from Joshua. At the end of the conquest, Joshua was there, and, and he was looking at all the Israelites, and he made kind of this proclamation at the end of it. He says, but if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord God, choose for yourself today the one you will worship, the gods of your father's Worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. We will worship the Lord. We, we have heard that. It's on little signs that we hang in our house and everything. But it is a proclamation and it is more than just words. It is a decision that we have to make in our families. It is a decision we have to make in our personal life. Who am I going to worship? Because everybody worships Something or someone. And there are no real atheists. 
in the world because everybody is a worshiper. It's the way we're made. And so we make this proclamation, as for me and my house, or my family, so what's that look like? And, and how do we accomplish that in, in the roles and what society is saying, what family is? Because family's changed. Listen, we, we have more families that, you know, broken homes, there, there's divorce, there's, there's single family parents, there's, there's blended families. There's all kinds of, the family model that we knew, the nuclear family, mom, dad, and 3.2 kids, which I never understood the point to. It's like just a hand or something. I don't know. But that's gone. That's not the norm anymore. And so we have to decide what is family and what's that look like in my context and how do I follow through on this proclamation? As for me and my family, as for me and my house, we will worship Yahweh. We will worship the Lord God. So, we're going to dive into the family. Ephesians, starting chapter 5, we're going to be at the end of chapter 5, verse 22 through 33, 1 through 4. Some of this stuff is hard hearing. Some of this stuff, just like, eh, I don't like that. I don't like that because it has words like submit and obey and stuff like that. And we, we don't like those words. And we're going to dive in. But just listen as Paul writes to the church of Ephesus and says, here is the family. And here's what it looks like. Starting at verse 22. It says, wives. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, <coughs> love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this, <coughs> excuse me, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife. He who loves himself and the wife must res- and the wife must respect her husband. Jumping over to chapter six, so in verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so we have kind of this picture of the complete family. And just a little rabbit trail. I know what um, the Supreme Court has ruled, and I know what culture says, and none of that stuff. Listen, we live in a fallen world. And the things of God are foolishness to those that don't know my Bible says, and my, and, and my faith says, that God defined what marriage is. And so if someone comes up to me and says, well, you know, I, I'm a guy and I love a guy and we're going to get married. I'm like, okay, but in my heart, in my mind, I know it's not really marriage because God defines marriage. That doesn't mean I hate homosexuals and we got to get over that as Christians. Let me tell you something. Sin is sin and we are all broken. And we got to stop being so like up in arms about like they've destroyed marriage. You cannot destroy something that God's created. 
And there are too many angry blasts on Facebook and social media that are making us look less grace-driven and love-driven than what Christ requires. We are all broken. We are all in need of a Savior. There's no level of, well, this sin's worse than that sin. Sin is the one, sin is sin and it separates us from God. And so those that don't know God, obviously, may have a problem with God defining what marriage is. But I just want you to be very, very clear that God, Christ, Paul, all through their words, define what marriage is as one man, one woman. And, and I love, actually, you know, I'm not pushing any politics. I love what Ben Carson said on one of the debates a few, a few weeks ago. Where they were talking about his faith and how can you like stand in that and says, just because I don't agree with the way you live doesn't mean that I don't care about you. And we have to be willing to stand on what the truth is, but we need to stand in a way that is love and grace also. So let, let, let's dive in this. Let's start with husbands and wives. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as this church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I, I, I know we don't really like that, but let me make something very, very clear. Submit does not mean slave. I, I know sometimes in our culture, we kind of, we have used this as a power trip over women. Let, let me tell you something. The creation wasn't complete until man and woman were together. The picture of who God is in community and in life and love and grace and the church wasn't complete until man and woman. And if, if you ever hear anybody saying, well, women, you know, they should be silent. They'll mention those verses. They're taking those out of context, by the way. Because Paul was specifically talking to a couple of women, saying, y'all need to just shut up and stop. But this, this doesn't mean, what, what, what it means, wives, it means that we come up under a husband. There is an authority there that God has placed, and an accountability which we'll get to for the man. But it doesn't mean a slave. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit there in an abusive situation. It doesn't mean you have to sit there in a dangerous situation. And it doesn't mean you have to obey your husband when he is against what God's will is. Ever. Ever. But it does mean that there's an authority that God has placed in that. And so, and so we do that. We find ways as wives, we, we find ways to come up under, to lift up the husband, to lead, help lead the children, but to support Unfortunately, our culture has become in such a way where mom and the women are leading everything because men are too lazy to do their job that God has called them to do and commanded them to do. And so, if anything, this is an indictment on the men in our Western culture that we should be leading well, much better. But if you jump down to 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it to make her holy cleansing, her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his 
loves his wife, loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Husbands, Christ is the example that we are to lead. Paul makes it very, very clear here that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Which as men means that we need to, we need to be willing to sacrifice everything for our wives, for our families. We, we need to be willing to lead them in such a way that they are presented. I, I love that picture that it's this picture of presenting a bride. You know, when the, when the bride walks down the aisle with the dad and the dad presents her to the husband all in white and everything. You know, uh, I'm sorry, this may sound sexist, but a girl never looks as pretty as she does on her wedding day. There's just something about the purity and the beauty of that moment. And that's what God calls us to do. That one day we're going to stand before God and present our wives and say, here. Without stain. Without wrinkle. Or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We're called to sacrifice everything. Because that's what Christ did for our church. Wives, you submit to your husbands. Husbands. You have to be willing to be crucified for your wives. That's a big deal. I mean, it's interesting. There's there's um, a study that was done years ago that they watched and said if 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 a child or a teenager came to know Christ was led to Christ, then it was about like a eighteen to twenty percent chance that the rest of the family would come. If mom a girl or was was presented and, and came to know Christ, then it jumped up to about a 30 to 33% chance that the rest of the family. But when dad lives the way God has called us and commanded us to live, when the man steps up and he's leading his family in that way, it is a 95 to 98% chance that the rest of the family is going to follow suit. That's a huge deal. And as men, we need to start becoming men. I love that David looks at Solomon and says, show yourself a man. Which means that we're willing to sacrifice and we're willing to love and lead our children and our wives in such a way that they become the church members, they become the church that God created us to be. But it's a partnership. There needs to be unity in the family and it starts with mom and dad. And this is the place that the enemy is attacking the most. He's changed the roles all the time. If you mention submit in any public forum to women, you you will be crucified. If you mention to men, it's all about sacrificing, giving yourself away. That is totally counterculture to what they're being taught and what they're being led. It starts here. If mom and dad, if husband and wife, if man and woman come together and they say, together we are going to lead our family. Together we're going to keep moving forward in our faith. The church would explode with that. We'd never be asking for who's going to be a deacon or who's going to be a Sunday school teacher, who's going to be a leader. Because you would have people already just leading in that way. And this is why the family is so important. How about parents and children? Chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. First of all, children, 
We live in the most disrespectful era that I've ever seen and our culture has probably ever seen. We've made it so easy for our kids. And we have let them get by over and over. And I'm just going to say it as, as children, and I don't care if you are little or big, it is still your job to obey and honor your parents. As you get older, it becomes more of honoring. <laughs> as you have your own family, it becomes still honor your parents and everything. Because now you kind of have left. You know, that's that whole leave and cleave thing. When you leave and cleave, it's about you two. But you still have to honor your parents. But as kids, man, our children need to learn to obey. In our schools and in our culture, we have lowered the bar of what we expect from our children and students. And they're not going to raise it in our schools. And so we have to do it at home. And I love that it does come with a promise. It's the only command out of all the commands that comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If you jump back to Deuteronomy, that, that's, that's the law. And it comes with a promise. It's the first command that comes with a promise saying, you know, children, if you do this, if you honor and obey. Now, again, that doesn't mean outside of God's will. And unfortunately, we can't always choose our parents. And sometimes they're nuts. And sometimes they are not doing the best that they can. And they're not following God's will. But if they're not asking you to do anything illegal or just totally against God, then you still need to honor and obey. But here's the deal. You want, you want to know how to make it easier? Parents, we have to give our kids something to honor. See, I think this is the issue today. We're, we're telling our kids to obey and honor us, but how honorable are we living? How much are we modeling for them to show like this is what this looks like. You know, there wasn't a day that went by when my children were little that they didn't hear the name of Jesus, and it was never as a cuss word. And yes, they've had their moments, and they've had their wonderings and everything. But I believe all my heart, because we made that a priority, that we were going to pass on our faith. I mean, in fact, that's what we're commanded to. In Deuteronomy, we're commanded... That it is us, the parents, that teach and disciple our kids. It's not the church's job to disciple the kids. It is, it is us to help the parents so that they can disciple the kids. Because, guys, guess what? If you're a mom and dad today, or if you're going to be a mom and dad someday, you are still the number one influence for spirituality in your kid's life. Pastors, youth pastors, all those people, man, we're down to like eight or nine. Friends, Bump between two and three. Parents have always been and continue to be the number one influence of what faith looks like in a child's life. And so parents, we have to give them something to honor. So, families. Deuteronomy 4.9. There's a warning. It says, only be on your guard and diligently watch yourself so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. It is your job, it is our job as adults to pass on our faith to the next generation. It has always been that way. 
And it's the church's job to come along and give you the tools necessary to do that. It's, it's not the children's ministry or the youth ministry's job. They are added tools. They come alongside because you hit those moments. What, what did we watch Inside Out last night, guys? And I love that movie because like in two minutes I said, oh, wow, she's becoming a teenager. And that's exactly what's going on because they are going crazy. And I understand <coughs> that as they, they become teens and they're growing in that, that it's almost like the kids become the enemy. And a good ministry will come alongside and support the family while also speaking truth into the kids. But the same truth that the parents are speaking into, hopefully. And that, that's, that is the kind of ministry that we'll be running for our children and youth here. It'll be one that comes along and locks arms with parents. So, families stay together. I believe it's all my heart. Families stay together that, first of all, pray together. As the head of your families, as the leader in your families, wherever you're at, you need to be taking time as a family praying. And you can be praying for the church. You can be praying for leadership. You can be praying for the schools. You can be praying for that. But you pray together. And not just around a meal. I, I love the nursery rhyme prayers, and they're neat to teach our kids and stuff, but we've got to move our kids past the nursery rhymes because if that's all they ever hear and all they ever experience, then they will never understand the personal, relational God that we follow and serve. And so families, we, we have to pray together. And a great way to pray and embed the importance of church and the local gathering of them is to pray for the church together. Families that stay together, worship together. I understand the need for children's church and all that stuff to help kids understand. But I can promise you that there will be times on a regular basis where we will bring everyone in, screaming babies and everyone in a church, where the family will sit together and worship together. Because there's nothing better for a kid to look up and see mom and dad worshiping God. Because all of a sudden it clicks in their head that, man, this is important. There's nothing that I think that draws a family together more than worship together. And so a family that worships together will stay together. Finally, a family that serves together. You know, we, we've got to find opportunities. We've got to find opportunities for our kids and for everyone to just serve and understand that this faith is more than something I sit down and just listen to on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or whenever. That there's opportunities for us to like serve together and do things. And there's everything. We just had a moment like that. Two Fridays ago when we went to and handed out candy. We'll have another moment like that. And we're going to look for moments like that at least each month where we can serve together as families. And we can experience what God is doing in our community. 1 Corinthians 7.14 says this. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, this, this isn't saying that your kids are saved because you're a Christian. But it is saying, as you live a holy, sanctified life, your wife is going to see it, and it's going to model, and it's going to draw her, or the wife is going to draw the husband. And in that, when the family comes together, and you are sanctified and living that holy life, your children are going to see it, and they're going to want it, and they will live it. I believe all my heart the promise of God, train up a child in the way you should go, and not soon depart from it. A family that prays together and worships together and serves together 
we'll grow and know Jesus together more and more every day. But in the middle of it all, Christ has to be center. Christ has to be center of our families. When, when, when I asked my wife to marry me, there was a ring I gave her, and it was, it was important. And it's not, you know, it's not huge or anything, but there are two diamonds, and there's one in the middle. And I told her, when I asked her to marry me, I says, that diamond in the middle represents Christ. And as long as Christ is in the middle of our relationship, no matter what happens, it will hold us together. No matter what goes on, Christ will be the center, and it will be the thing that holds our family together. And families, I don't know how families make it today without faith. They don't. Listen, Romans 5, 8, you probably heard, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it starts with our own personal faith. It starts with the idea that Christ, if he's the center of me and everything I do, of my career, of my family, of my social life, of everything, if Christ is the center of that, and he's the center of my family, guess what? More than likely, he's going to be the center of my kids. Now, I understand we can do the best we can, and sometimes kids just go and do whatever. And they run away. And all we can do is pray. And all we can do is hope and just say, God, I just leave them in your hands. That was the hardest thing I ever had to do as a dad. Is when I just looked at God and said, God, I've done my job. They're in your hands. And they have to make their own decision someday. They have to make their own choice someday to follow Christ or not to. But I promise you, as a dad and as a husband, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they make the right choice and leave the rest up to God. Christ has to be the center of our families. Christ has to be the center of our church. Christ has to be the center of everything that we do. Or none of the things that we do will actually mean anything. Uh, John Wesley, I've been reading. Um, listen, if you, I, I know, I like, I'm a digital guy. I like stuff on things. But um, there's something about books. And I've started to read old sermons. And I've started to read the old books like John Wesley. Um, I'm reading right now um, Jonathan Edwards. <clears throat> which is, it's not easy reading. But I just, I want to encourage you that we can learn so much from these old, great men and women of God. And you may only find it in book form, in paper. And you have to be careful of the paper cuts because we're not used to that anymore. But I just want to challenge you. But I read a sermon this week, John Wesley and the Sermons of Family Religion. And I have, I have about 300 sermons on my computer from different guys, from Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. But I love this. He asked this question at the beginning of his sermon. He says, if family religion be neglected, if care not be taken of the rising generation, will not the present revival of religion in a short time die away? Will it not be as the historian speaks of the Roman state in its infancy, res unius etatus, an event that has its beginning and end within the space of one generation our faith in this culture is one generation from extinction every generation we're seeing it in europe we're seeing it in our country we're seeing it everywhere 
or the decline of faith. And I think it goes right back to the family. If we are raising our families, if, if we are committed to saying, I'm going to raise my family to understand the importance of faith in Christ and all this, it will be passed on to generation to generation to generation until Christ comes and we won't have to worry about it anymore because there won't be any question about it. I believe with all my heart that the family is the first church. And this morning, if you were if you're single, if you're married, if you were married, if anything, um, the church becomes part of that family. The church becomes that family for some. And, and, and that's our heart, to do all these things for you and together with you. I, I read this again to you and ask you, what's your proclamation this morning? But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, choose for yourself today the one you will worship. God, your father's worship beyond the Euphrates River the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you are living. Listen, this sounds really odd coming from a pastor, but if you're going to be a sinner, be the best sinner you can be. That Pew Forum report is telling us people are choosing God or nothing. And so choose and live it. Don't, don't play the game of being a Christian without knowing Christ. It's frustrating, and it makes all of us look bad, and most of all, it makes Jesus look bad, and that's the worst thing we can do. But if you are a follower of Christ, are you willing to make this proclamation? As for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. We will worship God. And that's more than singing a song. That's in everything I do and everything we do. Our commitment is this. I am a church member. I will lead my family to be good members of this church as well. We will pray together for our church. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with this church because he gave his life for her. This is the kind of church members I want. This is who I want to be. Where we see families being healed, families seeing hope, families growing, and faith being passed on to generation to generation to generation. That would be amazing. Because the family's the first church. And if we're not serving the families in this area, then we have no business doing anything else. Let's pray. God, I just thank you.